Hello and welcome to Ethical Seduction, your sex and relationship podcast. We cover topics and skills designed to help you get what you want, both in and out of the bedroom. I'm your host, Stephen, and joining me today are Kimberly. Hi. And Ava. Hello. And Brandy. Hello. On today's show, since it's our first podcast, we wanted to cover the topics of what ethical seduction means to us. Really, it's a concept that can guide you to attract the people you're interested in. However, in the bigger picture, it's about getting what you really want out of life. We want to help listeners develop skills with how to meet and approach people, how to flirt and connect with potential partners, cover tips for being better in bed, and maybe most importantly, how to do it all in an authentic, caring way that benefits everybody who's involved. But first, Kimberly, Brandy, Ava, and I, we wanted to introduce ourselves and share a little bit about who we are. Each of us has a different story and a different path that led us to where we are today, including why we wanted to create this project and this podcast. And that's why perhaps our stories are the best way to explain what ethical seduction is, why we care so much, and how we hope to help listeners. Quick disclaimer, please be aware that our podcast will involve sex-positive discussions and education about sex and relationships. Uh, the point is to empower listeners, but if these are sensitive topics to you, then you may want to consider listening to something else, like the knitting podcast, for example. Uh, so to go ahead and get us started, Ava, I think you're going to start us off and tell our listeners a little bit about this place known as The Mark. Yes, I would love to. Um, so... Uh, gosh, where do I start? The Mark is known for many things. Um, in a nutshell, it is Nashville's local community center for folks in the lifestyle um, or for folks that are curious about exploring the lifestyle. Um, and for any listeners that are unfamiliar with the term that I'm using, the lifestyle, that simply refers to folks that incorporate BDSM or kink into their own personal lifestyle in some shape or form. Um, that can look like a lot of different things. Just super, super quick. I'll touch on this so that we're all on the same page. Um Incorporating like BDSM or kink could look like uh, involving some kind of interest in a kink or a fetish, such as like a power exchange, like a dominant and submissive type thing, um, or like impact play, like spanking, or sensory play, like back rubs or body worship, um, or bondage, like rope play or other restraints. The, the restraints. The list is kind of endless. Um, and so that can look like many, many different things. Um, for some people, those interests could be purely sexually related, um, though for many, these interests can also be perfectly platonic or somewhere in between. Um, so for folks that participate in the lifestyle or are interested, many of them uh, enjoy a, a sense of community, like a safe space where they can go and be with other folks that have the same interests or are like-minded. Um, a space where you can be your authentic self and explore any kinks or fetishes that you might enjoy. And that's really where The Mark comes in. The Mark was established in 2005 and is a kink positive, sex positive, body positive, gender positive, relationship positive community center. Um, and the community center hosts certain events. They host um, social events that are known as play parties. Um, typically, these are on weekend evenings where members can go and hang out and socialize with others in the community. Um, this is also where they can go to explore and enjoy their kinks in a section of the mark known as the play space. So you've got this like dedicated area for just plain like hanging out, socializing, chatting, et cetera. And then there's also a dedicated area, the play space, which has lots of fun equipment that community members can enjoy if they want to play. 
So in addition to play parties, um, the Mark also offers really, really just well-rounded, a really great variety of educational classes around sort of the how-tos and the safety aspects of like various fetishes and kinks. The Mark is also host to a variety of discussion and support groups in the area. Um, and I say all this, <laughs> this is all relevant because all of these events that happen at the Mark, this is really where each of the members here on this podcast today met originally was through some kind of event happening at the Mark. Um, each of us is actually involved in some kind of volunteer role at the Mark today. Um, we've been a part of this community together for the last several years, at least. Um, I know Brandy is part of the Mark's education committee. And Kimberly actually leads the Benevolence Fund, which is provided to, to help community members in need. Um, Steven is a leader on the Welcome Team, which is designed to facilitate welcome activities for new folks interested in learning more about the mark. Um, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, like I spend most of my volunteering hours checking in members at the mark for play parties. Um, but I've also helped with other, other roles, like monitoring mm -hmm. the play space and managing play parties. Um, all four of us have been involved in teaching classes at the mark before so we've we've done quite a bit at the mark but i do want to make sure that everyone is aware we are not associated with the mark in this podcast ethical seduction is a totally separate entity from the mark but it's just important to bring up that we'll probably be referencing the mark uh in future conversations or in this podcast um, just because it's such a strong part of all of our lives. It's not, uh, there is no ad placement or suggestive advertising happening here. It's just something that is really commonplace in our lives. So it's just important to kind of state that ahead of time to set expectations of it's going to be mentioned throughout this episode and probably future episodes. Uh, that's that's my gist about the mark. Is there anything that I left out, guys? Anything, anything anyone else wants to add? Brandy. Can I add that we are a nonprofit organization and we're run completely by volunteer effort. So we are really a community in the whole sense of the word. Um, so we really take a lot of pride in that. Absolutely. Thank you for adding that, Brandy. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Ava, for that, that whole explanation and, and summary. Um, uh, yeah. That's how we know each other. That's the biggest thing, you know, that that's why I think it's really kind of important is that that's where we, we all met and, and that has led to this. Um, next, I thought we'd go ahead and we kind of tell a little bit about like who we are as individuals and some of like our past stories, because like, like Ava said, like I work on like the welcome team and you meet people and like when they come out, everybody's got a different story that kind of led them to actually want to come out for that kind of first time. So I thought same thing with us. It's like, you know, we all have our stories about like what, what got us here, you know, why, again, why are we on this podcast now and doing this? So, uh, I'll go ahead and just get us started um, and share some about my story. Uh, the ethical seduction, I guess the concept of it, it was something I started. And one of the reasons is that I'm kind of passionate about it is because in the past, I did not have the skills that I have today, a lot of like social skills and things like that. And I just, I, I sucked at a lot of the stuff and it wasn't that I was a bad person or anything like that, but I really kind of feel more than anything. It's like you start off and if you get bad information or just don't have a decent understanding of certain things, then you just you get sidetracked and you don't realize that you're, you know, I'm going to say sidetracked. Um, in the past, uh, 
you know, I could be really annoying at times and it wasn't on purpose, but it was just as I'm interacting with people, I, you know, I might've come across as a little bit of, you know, kind of try hard or something like that. Um, I am a very social person. And so connecting with people is important to me, but I didn't always do it in the, the best of, of ways. The other aspect of me is that when, when I was younger, is like, I was like the nice guy and I was safe, but then that wasn't always good either because um, it didn't always jive like who I was on the inside with who, how I kind of presented on the outside that, um, you know, I am was, you know, nice guy and I am safe, but I wasn't necessarily getting things that I really wanted and I didn't know how to make some of that stuff happen. And that was frustrating. And again, at the moment you might not always realize that it is frustrating, but it's like looking back on it, I can see like that was an issue for me. Uh, just I wasn't getting things that I really kind of wanted out of out of my life and so that's why i'm going to say we you know have now led into ethical seduction that's that that's a a a goal of mine with with this project um growing up i feel like i was kind of accidentally misinformed by my parents by society things like that so your parents come along they do the best with you that they can but they're not perfect and then you know they're shaped by society and society has Society likes to try to mold you into like a way of sort of being safe so that every, we all know what to expect from you. You know, don't don't make any sudden moves, you know, that kind of thing. It's like we want to know what to count on. So society has this kind of way that sometimes is not the best for the individual. And there's the reality is like you need to have a balance between the two, between individual and, and society. But um, the result from the information that I had and kind of growing up is that I didn't have great information on certain things. So just like, I want to talk a little bit about like some past beliefs I have, because I think this is important just to kind of realize that you don't have to, you don't have to get all this stuff from the beginning. You know, you're, it is a growing experience. Uh, These are so stereotypical though, but it's like, you know, boys just think about sex all the time, you know, and their boys are horny and that, you know, that has to get kept under control. Like that was something that. I sort of had in the back of my head that I think was like a belief. And then the flip side of that is like women don't naturally want to have sex because they're like pure creatures and they like to pure relationships and that's what they value. And you know, that's, that's not reality. That's not the way things really kind of are, but especially, you know, if you think of I don't know Disney movies or something like that, then that's, you can kind of get some of these things about, you know, relationships and genders that are not really accurate. Um, rejection. I think I somehow related that to failure. So I know that I had like sort of a fear of rejection that I dealt with for a long time and getting over that. And and I do feel like I've kind of gotten over that, but that's hard to do. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight and it's kind of tricky. And so that's, again, something I, I hope that with this podcast, we can kind of really help people with, um, to, to work on it and overcome that. Um, you know, I was the nice guy. Dating was not easy for me. Um, I also thought as a kid, when I was younger, like I remember, this was like in middle school, high school, early high school, probably. And it was like, you know, I just remember thinking like, well, once I get a girlfriend, I will probably end up marrying her because I'm going to be so happy to like finally have a girlfriend. And I could not literally envision ever breaking up with this person, you know? And then when I did date somebody, it was two weeks and I was like, I, like I just wanted out because I was like, you know, doing all these things with them. And it was like, I didn't, I wasn't doing any of the old things that I used to do, you know? And so now I can look at that and be like, well, that's not healthy. You know, you need to have like this kind of mix of things. But again, growing up, I didn't realize that. 
So, you know, the key things of like some of these beliefs I'm trying to share with you is just to kind of realize that you don't have to know everything from the start. You probably, we all have accidental beliefs that are not real, you know, and you just, you don't know it until you kind of get, maybe get better information and it kind of clicks with you. And then you can sort of maybe see things a little bit clearer. That's, that's normal. Um, In high school, uh, I did date a girl named Susie and she was, she's important to me because she was like the, the first person I really fell in love with, but also she was a really healthy relationship and healthy person for me to be around. So I feel like I really grew a lot with her. Uh, we eventually, we dated for like a year and then it was like, we were going on to different colleges, you know, so that is what kind of broke us up. And that was a hard time for me. And I had a hard time kind of figuring out how to, you know, move on past that and date other people. Um, looking back, it was like I was holding myself back and I wasn't doing things that I really wanted to do. But the key thing is like, I didn't know how to do them. You know, you're, you kind of have a sense, like you're not doing what you want to do, but you don't know how to go about doing it. Um, after college got married and I feel like I, looking back on it, I feel like I got married for all the right reasons at the time. And we bought a house we had two children and I have a boy and I have a girl and now they're teenagers, um, grown up and doing very well. Um, sometime in my, I'm going to say early thirties though, is like when I started to change and I grew. And, uh, I do feel like that's because podcasts were coming out and the internet was, it was pretty new, but like you were able to get information that you didn't have before. And so ways that I kind of envisioned myself or things, you know, these past beliefs that I kind of had, I started to realize were not necessarily, they weren't right. And so I started to kind of go through and, and change and grow. The other thing that was a big influence on me though, was I had a business trip and it ended up being four of us in the car for four hours coming from Atlanta to Nashville. And we got on the topic of religion and everybody in the car had different opinion about religion and you know, this and that and how things work or whatever. And I got grilled on it. And the end result was like, you know, I was able to talk about things, but I also realized like I didn't understand some of it as well as what I would have liked to. And so in my early thirties, I went through this huge growth period, um, just researching things and like going to the library. And like, if you, you know, if I think of something like, I wonder how this works, or I realize like I half understand this, but not all the way you could just look it up, you know? And again, the internet was there. You could like look things up. And so that was a really exciting time in my life was to go through this sort of this growth period. And that ended up changing a lot of the beliefs that I had, uh, such as, you know, women wouldn't want to have, don't necessarily naturally want to have sex all the time. It's like learning about evolution. Most people don't think about it with like evolution, but to me, that was a big thing of like, of course they want to, like you wouldn't have a species around if they didn't, if you didn't have everybody wanted to have sex at some point, you know? Uh, and, and the same thing with that got me into like more interested in people and human nature and how we work and how we bond and those kind of things. So I just, you know, that was a huge growth period in my life. Unfortunately, that also led to issues with my marriage because I feel like looking back on it, I changed, she did not. And all of a sudden we didn't fit like we used to. Um, one of the other things was like, I realized I had given up being as, as social as maybe as I was. And the people that I was around with like work and, and other things like that were not necessarily like the, my 
chosen people, you know, the people that I really want to kind of click and connect with. And so I like all the other people that I would work with, but it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the same. And so I realized like, okay, that's something that was important that I need to kind of get back into myself. And so I started to work on that. Um, that again, though, kind of led to more issues with my marriage just because it was like, oh, some I'm changing and we're not fitting the way we used to fit, which now I can look at and be like, that's okay. But I worked on, you know, on the marriage for a long time. Um, there was a parenting book that I remember reading and that's where I really learned the importance of like self-care, which was, you've probably heard this, but it's like where they're like, you know, make sure you put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your child, you know, in the event of like an airplane crashing or something like that. And it's just sort of like, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be around to help anybody else. So you need to take care of yourself. And, and that was something that reading this book, I realized like I didn't do very well. I was always kind of putting the kids first and maybe at my own expense. And so I wasn't doing the self-care that I needed. So again, that was kind of realizing that and then trying to kind of focus and being like, yeah, I am going to try to, you know, take better care of myself and do things that I wanted and needed to, to do. Um, also, at the same time period is when I really started to realize like that I'm kinky, you know, and what did that term mean? And just, you know, interests that I had in earlier parts of life. No, nobody did this on purpose, but it was like, you know, there's shame that's kind of associated with some of it. There was periods of time where I thought like, oh, if I want to tie somebody up, that's weird. Like there's something wrong with me. And then, you know, again, in my 30s is where I realized like, there's other people that like to do this too. And there's people that like to be tied up and it's not weird. And you just get this whole sense that like, no, there's a place that this actually fits, you know, and does make sense. And it's not that I'm broken or something like that. So that was again, a good kind of learning experience. My, my wife at the time, not kinky. And it was not the kind of thing that was like good for her. She didn't want to explore it and exploring it um, would not, it wouldn't have been fair to her either. So that ended up, probably I'm going to say like seven years of my life. And this is kind of important because I realize a lot of people that are out there like this, you get, it was a period of time, seven years where I'm conflicted and I'm trying to figure out like, what am I going to do? Like I've got my wife and my kids who I love. And then there's these other aspects of myself that I'm trying to kind of figure out how they can all kind of fit in with everything. And it didn't always jive, you know, and it was very difficult, but I don't know. Like I said, it was probably about seven years that I really kind of worked on things and, and realized there was problems and stuff had to change. If anybody who's in that situation, I want to say, you just keep working at it. You know, eventually some things will move, pieces will shift and, and you can, you know, get a, a better sense and, and figure some things out. So in my case, uh, we eventually did end up getting separated and divorced. Um, I do want to add that much of what I know now, though, is about relationships and dealing with difficult situations, I learned with the help of a therapist and friends like during this time period. So our growth periods are not always the most fun at the time, but they can lead to, to better things. And that's just keep that in mind. That's, that's really, I think, important to kind of go through and do. Um, total side note. Going through the divorce, uh, you know, you're worried about your kids and how they're going to end up turning out and you just have to like cross your, you know, you do what's best and you cross your fingers. And I just want to kind of add, like for me, my experience, my kids are doing really well. You know, they're both like, doesn't really matter, but it's like straight A students, but they're just really good people. And so I'm glad that I had the courage to sort of make the changes and move on and just sort of trust that, you know, they're going to be able to manage through this whole thing too. Um, it would have been bad for me to stay married 
because of the kids and to not make those changes. You know, I would have suffered as a person. They would not have a dad, in my opinion, like they do now. So just want to kind of offer that out there too. So just, it's very scary moment in time, but just kind of keep that in mind. And then that led to, to the mark, which Ava talked about that once I was able to, once I was kind of out on my own, I had the ability to go to the mark and connect with people in the community, which I knew had existed for a couple of years, but it wasn't the right time to kind of do anything. You know, finally, when I was out of the house and on my own, that was the right time. And man, everything really kind of fell into place because the community, which Ava spoke about, the community there is very accepting and very nice and very kind. And, you know, when I work on the, the welcome team, so many people come in, they don't know what to expect. And so they're really nervous. Um, I did know everybody was going to be super nice and very friendly and safe and that kind of thing. So it's, it is a really good community kind of meet, um, I'll add to on the welcome team, we try to make it easy and safe. And we want you to know, like, you know, that you're in a, in a good place and that you're in control of things. Nobody's going to take advantage of you or they should not, you know, take advantage of you. So then also probably about six years ago, that's when I met uh, Kimberly, my wife, and I met her at the mark. Um, and that may sound really kind of unconventional to think of meeting somebody at a place like that, but it is, you know, that's, that's where I'm meeting somebody who has the same kind of attitudes and is accepting and non-judgmental as me. And so it, it really is a good place and it makes a lot of sense, you know, now, um, you know, that's, that's where we would meet. But we met, uh, I think about six years ago, and we've been married for three years now. Uh, coincidentally, three years ago is when, about when I started teaching my very first ethical seduction class. Uh, that came out because of some, from some discussions that we were having there, I really wanted to help people in the community meet potential partners without accidentally like being creepy or overstepping boundaries, because we could see sort of both, both kind of things happen with some people. And again, it's like, you're sort of like, you know, that person's a nice, good person, but they might not come across that way, or they might accidentally make somebody feel uncomfortable, for example. And so the ethical seduction was, was my interest in like trying to help people, you know, meet and interact a little bit better and smoother. So the first class that I was able to kind of put together and offer, it was two hours long and I had all these ideas and it was way too much information. Ava, I think you were there, weren't you? Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. So it was too much information for two hours, you know? So at the end of it, I was kind of disappointed because I felt like people were maybe glazed over a little bit and it wasn't having the impact that I wanted. And so the following six months to a year later, I was um, allowed to offer five classes, two hours length for each one for, you know, really focusing on different aspects of seduction and flirting. And that's where it really kind of clicked because we made it into a workshop where we had more interaction between the people that were, I'm going to say myself presenting and others in the audience. It really was more collaborative and that was wonderful. That's what I wanted. And, and that I feel like people left those uh, workshops where they were kind of excited. And I felt like ideas and things we talked about, like actually stuck in their heads and were usable. Um, then COVID hit, you know, this past whatever, nine months ago or so. And that has kind of frozen everything. You know, we're not able to kind of get together in groups the way we were. And that has slowly led to us deciding like, hey, maybe we should do the podcast like what we're doing now. So I feel like this is the next step. It's the same kind of concept that we had before, but we're just trying to reach out to people in a different way. Um, 
Sex and relationships are one of the most important things in our lives, and I don't want people accidentally being lost like I was years ago, because there's so much knowledge and various resources out there now that it's a lot easier today to develop skills that you want and you need in order to get what you desire from your life. Um, And that could be like a person who is interested in like dating somebody else and you're after, you know, that person that caught your eye, or could also just be like, a lot of these skills are like things that you may further your job career. They're often like the same skills, whether it's for like, say, dating or career, but we're going to, for this conversation, we're going to focus on it for like the relationship part and the dating part, because that's kind of more fun. And the important part is to learn those life skills. So anyway, that's, that's kind of my story and you know, how I got to here. That's, that's why we're here doing the ethical seduction podcast. So thank you. Kimberly, do you want to share some of your story? Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Steve. I'm Kimberly. Um, I'm not sure that all of what I'm about to say is going to be relevant to ethical seduction in this podcast. So, Steve, if you want to edit some later, feel free. Um, Before I get started with kind of who I am and where I've been, I just wanted to make clear that our podcast is for everyone. It's not just for kinky people, even though that's how we all identify and that's how we all met. Um, And we may refer to that at some points in time. This is really for anyone who, you know, wants to explore themselves or their relationships, have better relationships or just get laid. Um, So I just wanted to put that out there so that if you're feeling like, oh, I you know, this is not, this podcast is not really for me because, um, I'm not kinky. That's really not the case. It's going to be very overall talking about dating and relationships. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to start off, um, in a little bit of a different way than Steve and throw out some fun facts about myself. Um, so I'm a reader of nonfiction, especially science fiction, Um, I have a half sleeve of Blade Runner, which if you're not familiar with that, uh, it's a movie from the 1980s, which is a science fiction movie. Um, I'm slowly writing a novel. I enjoy films that are intense or are just like total mindfucks. Um, I like punk rock and British alt music. Uh, Sometimes I sing with Steve and we're creating music from poetry I've written over the years. Um, my Myers-Briggs personality is ENFJ, which if you're not familiar or forgot all the terms, it's extroverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging. And if you're familiar with the Enneagram, um, I'm in the heart triad in particular in number four. Okay, so um, just some fun facts about me. And like I said, I'm not sure this is all relating to dating relationships, but this is kind of my story and who I am. Um, First of all, I wanted to start off by saying that I'm a person in recovery, um, in long-term recovery, and my sobriety date is 12-23-2010. So just starting off, you know, from that point, um, I started drinking like most people when I was a teenager, except I really felt like I was different from other people. Um, I had this kind of feeling that I was kind of like empty and alcohol made me feel whole and complete. Um, It also was a really great way to escape problems that were going on in my life. Um, At that time, I do deal with mental illness quite a bit. So from pretty much my whole life, I've been dealing with mental illness. So that kind of underlies my story. And I think kind of fueled my 
alcohol and drug use. Um, so I always drank to excess at, from the point I started drinking, I drank whenever I could. I usually blacked out and eventually I turned to other drugs, um, harder drugs until I spiraled downwards with two DUIs and a public intox and went to treatment. Um, however, during this time I was pretty functional, I would say, um, I got a bachelor's degree in public relations. I did a lot of feminist activism at my university, founding groups, speaking about domestic violence and sexual assault to people on campus and in the community. I put on the first vagina monologues at my university, actually really two universities um, because I was a transfer student. So I put, I kind of put on the first um, vagina monologues at two different schools. Um, at the first school, interestingly enough, we were not allowed to say the word vagina. Now this was like, this dates me, I guess, and tells you my age. But um, that, when was that? Uh, 2000, okay. So um, we weren't allowed to say the word vagina in association with the school, which, what the hell, that's the whole point of the vagina monologues. Um, so we made these t-shirts up that were like, vagina is not a dirty word and had this like diagram <laughs> of the uterus and then we got people asking us what's your shirt about and we told them about the play so um it was it all worked out really well um so anyway um towards the end of my degree i was fortunate enough to go to washington dc with an internship at the national organization for women um and i learned a lot and really really love DC. Um, also, also during college, I discovered that I'm bisexual and pagan, um, as well, just throwing that out there. Um, so later on, sorry, later on, I obtained a master's degree in women's studies, still drinking, <laughs> doing stuff. Um, my focus was on sexuality and sex work, and my thesis was entitled, with a smile, wink, and a nod, Feminism in the New Burlesque Movement. So I also co-founded a group here and participated in feminism feminist activism. Uh, I created Protect Your Body Day, which focused on sexual health and, in particular, um, combating violence against transgender people, which... Interestingly enough, as a cis um, woman, people kind of thought that was strange. And because it was 2008, nobody was really talking about trans rights like they are now. Um, but my thought process in all this was like realizing how hard it was for me to come out as bisexual because I you know, grew up in the South and that's really taboo, especially when you're talking about like the early 2000s, um, it was just with that whole struggle um, and people saying like, you're not bisexual, you're straight. And then lesbians saying, no, you're a lesbian, you know, like you can't, you can't be bisexual, you have to choose. Um, and in particular, having to come out to my parents, um, I just, I felt like, gosh, being trans must be even much more difficult than that. And so I really wanted to work on that issue, even though I don't identify as trans. Um, and so this kind of wraps up my drinking and drug use. I was submitting my thesis um, for this degree um, that I mentioned earlier, and I didn't know if I was going to pass or I was going to fail. So I was like, well, either I'm commiserating or I'm celebrating. I don't know, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to drink, which is pretty much my attitude from 
you know, like late high school on. Um, so that's when I got uh, my second DUI and I went to treatment, like I said, and got into recovery. Um, so after I got into recovery, I got another master's degree. I just love school. So, um, I, you know, why not? So this time um, it's in social work because I had and have a desire to help others get into recovery. Um, so this time in my degree, I helped build the collegiate recovery community, which is a community of students in recovery. Um, and the organization helps students have a normal college experience without the use of alcohol and drugs. Um, so that was a big part of my life. And then I also had to throw in some more activism there, which included things like um, working against the death penalty and a bill in Alabama at the time, which basically made it illegal illegal to be brown in Alabama. Um so during this point in time is when I became part of the local kink and BDSM scene. So I've been a part of the community for seven years now. Um I never really, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I never, I never really like there was never this moment moment in time that I was like oh my gosh, I'm kinky, or like, it wasn't like I always knew there was something different about me. No, it was just like, in the bedroom, like, sometimes I did kink stuff, and that was just normal to me, and like, some of the people I dated were into it, and some of the, some of the people I dated were not, and so, like, I kind of went back and forth between, you know, kink and not doing kink. Um, so anyway, I moved to Nashville, um, for a job, and I quickly became part of the mark. Um, and like Steve said, and I think Ava mentioned, I eventually started teaching classes, um, some basics classes. I co-taught the art of bottom bottoming, um, co-taught spanking with Steve. I've hosted a party, and like Ava mentioned, I'm benevolence quarter coordinator for the mark, which helps kinksters actually across Tennessee in need. And I also have co-hosted a local munch for, I think, like five years now. Of course, we're not meeting now because of COVID. But um, anyway, so in late 2017, I married Steve and I became a stepmother, which was not something I ever expected to be. But I love it. Um, we met in early 2015 during a spanking game in which Steve had to spank me like had no choice i was forced no, i was just kidding everything is totally <laughs> consensual everything is totally consensual but that's how we tell the story so that's how we met we were randomly matched up in a game in which he had to spank me um so it's just totally kind of random so anyway when steve asked me to help him with his ethical seduction workshop and class from the beginning I was pretty happy to help and just to bring my knowledge and perspective to this experience so um that's pretty much me in a nutshell really quick yeah thanks thanks Kimberly you're welcome hi I'm Ava um I am originally from Seattle born and raised. I've been living here in Nashville for the last uh, four years or so. Let's see. Um, I grew up in a Christian family. The We weren't very, uh, we weren't particularly like conservative or, or traditional or, or anything like that. I would say that 
Um, I was probably given a lot of autonomy and personal freedom growing up. Uh, so I did a lot of my own like self-exploration when it came to things like relationship styles or religion or just self-expression in general. Um, so by the time that I came to Nashville a little over four years ago, I had already uh, very much uh, kind of dove into exploring things like kink and BDSM and polyamory, uh, paganism, other other types of things that when I share stuff with stuff like that with people, they go like, wait, what, huh? Like, it just just things that I, I was curious about that I wanted to explore and things that just ended up feeling right and, and becoming part of my identity. Um, let's see here. When I moved to Nashville, I didn't really have any intention of jumping into the kink community here. Uh, but when I found out that I lived less than 10 minutes away from this really awesome kink community space, I kind of jumped in with both feet first uh, and the rest is kind of history. So it took me a few months of exploring the kink scene at the mark. And eventually I started volunteering, like I mentioned before, uh, today, I, other than my volunteering at the Mark, I also support a local polyamory group known as Many Loves. Uh, Many Loves hosts discussion groups and social gatherings for folks that are curious about or identify as polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous. I've always been really passionate about understanding relationships and figuring out how they work and how they don't work and what works for different people and things like that. Um, I'm sure if you ask anyone else on this podcast today, they would tell you that I could talk for hours about just general relationships overall. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, I also support the market in, in various roles, such as checking in folks at the desk uh, for play parties and also teaching and uh, monitoring folks in the play space and things like that. Um, additionally, I also met my current partner here in Nashville around the time that I started exploring the mark. I was new to Nashville and he was new to the kink community and we started out as just this kind of casual, fun, play type of relationship and lo and behold, we've now been living together for the last two years and I have a very strong relationship with not just him but also his spouse and his daughter. Um, also, Stephen had suggested that I mentioned as part of my bio that I seduce everyone that I meet and that I'm just awesome that way and everyone's helpless <laughs> to resist. And I don't know how accurate that statement is, but it made me smile. So I wanted to mention it. I think it feels a little bit more like a challenge than anything else. So challenge accepted, Stephen. Thank you. You have a really good person, like warm personality. <laughs> Thank you. So, I mean, that that just comes across, you know, and so, yeah, that, that's why I wrote that down. Yes. Ava, the seductioner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That is that is all I have to say about myself. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Brandy? Yeah? Do you want to go next? I can. Okay. Okay, so I think um, when I thought about how to talk about myself and my story and what got me to where I'm at today, uh, I, immediately in my head there were three three big life events that popped up and some of this subject matter is kind of heavy. So I apologize in advance, but that's part of my story. So hold on for the ride. Uh, I think the very first event, big life event that helped shape who I am today was when I came out to my parents and I grew, I was born and raised in a very small East Tennessee town. So small that I remember when we were in high school as part of a science project we did a study to see if there was any way 
that you could drive or get to my school without passing by like a cow pasture. And it, <laughs> it was not. So let's just, you know, that is how small this town was. And, uh, and like often small towns are also conservative. Um, and so from the moment I was born a female and I identify as a female, my trajectory was pretty much laid out for me. And there wasn't a lot of deviation that I could do against that um, freely rather. So I did really well playing the stereotypical straight female. I dated a, a, a boy as my first relationship and he, he was very religious and my parents had always taken us to church, but it wasn't a, a cornerstone or foundation for my family. But I was like, okay, if, I think if I kind of um, try to get into the religious world, it'll click, like it'll click and I'll be happy being a straight female. I'll marry him. We'll have 2.5 kids, et cetera. And like my, I will eventually feel happy. Um, and after, and I was kind of going through those motions, hoping eventually that that would happen for me. And then I graduated high school, went to the university, lived on campus and in the dorms. And that was the first time that I was able to explore and experiment and um, try to find out who I was as my own person. And during that process, I ended up falling in love with a female that I was dating at the time. And it was to the point where I would be going home for the weekends and talking to my parents and they would ask me how I was doing and what was going on. And I was leaving out this huge section of my life. Like I was really happy. I was in love for like what I thought was the first time. And I wanted to share that with them, but I didn't feel like I could. Um, and that really ate away at me to the point that eventually I ended up telling my mother, um, and then she said that I needed to tell my father that she was not going to tell him for me. And unfortunately, that probably played out the way you've heard many stories of. Um, they stopped talking to me. Um, my dad made the quote unquote comment. Um, I don't want it in my house. And, you know, couldn't even refer to me as like a person anymore. Um, and so that was pretty devastating. On the other hand, that was the very first time I had ever stood up for myself and um, put myself kind of above someone else and what they were they they wanted from me or expected from me. So while that was a the, my the reaction was negative, it wasn't completely surprising. Um, but it still felt good for me standing up for myself. So eventually, months later. We were fortunate enough to work through that. And um, my mother reached back out and said, you know, this is still difficult for me and I'm, I'm still processing it, but I would much rather have you in my life. And if this is part of you and that's what's required for you, for me to have a relationship with my daughter, then, then I accept that. And at this point, this is, you know, this was 10 years ago as of where I sit now, over 10 years ago. And we are great. Um, we have a great relationship. Well, what I'll talk about here in a few minutes, even when I got married to my ex-wife, they were both there and supportive and my dad walked me down the aisle and the whole thing. So in terms of them, it's been a great self-growth for them and they've had their own journey. Um, 
but that was definitely a, a defining moment for me. And then the second one is, so I've discussed the, the coming out to my parents. Um, and the second one would be my cancer diagnosis when I was 24, almost 25. And uh, let's see, how do I? So when you're told that you have cancer, no matter what type of cancer it is, you automatically become a part of this group that no one wants to be a part of. And you're forever a member. Like there's no getting out of it. You're a lifetime member. Um, and that as, as much as you don't want it to define you, it will. And for me, what kind of complicates that a little bit is, and I, I will right now, I will just divulge that I'm an oncology nurse and I have been for 13 years. And when I was diagnosed with my own cancer, um, I was also an oncology nurse. So as much as I just wanted to be a patient, I knew my statistics. I knew by being diagnosed at the stage I was diagnosed that I had a six out of 10 chance for the chemotherapy to be successful, which meant a four out of 10 chance that um, I would face some tough decisions. Um, and so being 24 or 25, when that's happening and, and having to face your own mortality that early, if you're fortunate as I was to get on the other side of it, um, as cliche as it sounds, it really makes you appreciate the, the small things um, and not take situations for granted. And I really firmly believe that it helped me be even more okay with more of the decisions I made as I got older about being my authentic self. Um, I give this one example that always makes me a little teary is um, like, for example, I think if you still have this, Stephen, one of the pictures you use of me is me with a milkshake. Yeah. And I look super excited about this milkshake. Um, and I, re you know, before cancer, it just would have been a milkshake to me. It not, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But when I enjoy a milkshake now, I remember when I was sick, that milk tasted like metal to me. And so I couldn't enjoy it. And then for almost two years after getting through treatment, I had some long-term side effects where I couldn't enjoy dairy products. So someone might see me with a milkshake and be like, why is she acting like an eight-year-old with a milkshake? But to me, I remember for almost three years, I couldn't enjoy this. Um, and so just something as simple as a milkshake to me is a big deal. And I, I don't take it for granted. So that is just one example of how I, my outlook on life has changed from that life experience. And I'm glad to say I'm now 10 years on the other side of it and cancer free. And um, yeah, that's that's the story there. Throughout my entire journey, um, I went from, you know, a close monogamous straight relationship to lesbian relationship to open relationships to um, secondary relationships and only kink play type relationships. And then um, I ended up falling in love with a female and getting married. And that was during a time where after I had come out, because this was in early, this was like 2005, 2006, I came out, maybe. Yeah. And um, so during that time, gay marriage wasn't legal. Um, all I knew was that I, I loved a female and any path 
in life that I thought I was going to take completely went away. So I had to kind of carve my own path. And, and while that's also freeing to say, okay, I can kind of make my own future. It's also difficult to then kind of grieve a future that you're not going to have that seemed like it would have been so easy and planned out for you if you just would have followed course. Um, but in some of the relationships I've, I've been in, we, we had an open situation that allowed me to explore with other people and other interests. And then um, even into my marriage, when, when I got married, where, when it wasn't a legal um, marriage in Tennessee and we'd went to DC and we came back. She and I started off as a closed relationship and then opened it up. Um, and then we, ex we explored together and then we ended up exploring separate. And eventually while it was an almost 10 year relationship from beginning to end, we ended up divorcing because along our individual path to self-discovery, I discovered that I was polyamorous and while it was very important for me to establish and have a primary relationship, um, I also wanted secondary relationships and she discovered through her path of self-discovery and, and um, being with other people and all that that entails that she was very much monogamous and while it's, it was pretty cut and dry and, and there was no animosity um, that it felt particularly hard to process a divorce when I felt like we, we went a, a step further to get married. We, we went out, we, we really put in a conscious effort. Um, it wasn't just something we took for granted, like, oh, we can run down to the courthouse and get married any day we want. We had to arrange to get to DC, apply for the marriage license, wait three days and then go pick it up and then we had to come back to Tennessee, realizing that our our marriage wasn't recognized and that the only thing it would be seen as is um, maybe a commitment to each other. And so processing through the, the divorce, it almost felt like more of a failure than if I had married a man and got divorced for some reason, because they would be like, well, that was just kind of what you did. And we understand you grow apart and but making such a conscious effort and, and dedication to each other and, and that not working out was difficult. But through that, I'm very fortunate that we're still good friends. We still have an open line of communication. We still text, you know, at least once a month just to check in with each other. Um, and she never once made me feel bad for who I was. There were things about me she didn't understand. There were kinks about me that she, it was hard for her to hear. Um, but she was always really great at allowing me to explore what um, I felt I needed to and allowing me that freedom, even ultimately at the expense of, of our marriage. So um, full credit to her for, again, I don't think I would be the person I was today if she wouldn't have allowed me the space to do that. Um, and I feel like that that was just another significant life event for me was being able to to be in love with someone that was accepting and understanding of uh, what I was wanting to explore and um, my needs, wants, and desires as they didn't relate to her and her taking that risk and allowing me that space to do that, even if it meant that I were ultimately, I discovered I wanted to be polyamorous and she discovered she wanted to be monogamous and that was the end of that relationship. But
Yeah. And so now I identify as polyamorous, bisexual, um, definitely value a primary relationship. Um, and that's what I'm seeking out in a, in a life partner. Um, and then a, a hearty supply of secondaries <laughs> to enjoy time with. <laughs> I love that term, hearty supply hearty of secondaries. Supply. Yes, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> well, th- thank you, Randy. I, you know, and I do feel like with both of us being go- like going through divorces and stuff like that, it's like, man, that's that is really hard. But it's like there's a lot of growth in there. It makes you really think about stuff that you wouldn't maybe have to think about if unless you're faced with it, you know. And so it's yeah, yeah. Know. I mean, I. You know, divorce is never easy, no matter what the the situation is and why it happens, because you never, you know, usually enter a marriage thinking it's going to end. But our situation just we were so fortunate that we were amicable and Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more thankful for it than regretful, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That could make a very valuable topic in a future episode. I feel like navigating out of a relationship isn't something anyone ever thinks about our plans for, right? So like, how do you do that in an ethical way that's as painless as possible? Oh, I love that. could that, make I for a really good conversation in the future, I feel like. And and that's what you do with most relationships, right? You get into the relationship and then most of them, I'm going to say, quote, don't work out, you know, and you move on to something, to, you know, to the next one or whatever it is. And you kind of go through this learning experience until one clicks. So yeah, most relationships i think that we kind of at least romantic relationships we go through have like a beginning and an end you mm-hmm. know for the for the most part so yeah whether we want it or not yeah right right and then my third large event that occurred that um kind of helped for me to be where i'm at now and so comfortable with myself and authentic and and living what i feel is my true life is when I moved to Nashville and ended up finding the the community at the mark. So growing up, I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. Um, I, I, I even like I didn't have a, a close group of friends. I didn't relate to a lot of people. I really enjoyed books and kind of escaped into that world. And so I just thought that I would never really find a place to belong. And so where I found comfort was in my own mind and my thoughts and books. And I was really content with that because I had never had the feeling of belonging to know that I was missing that. Um, But as soon as I discovered the mark and I walked in and granted, I was nervous and shy and timid, but feeling so accepted and welcome and um, not, not judged and feeling that sense of belonging just made me feel even more okay to be myself. Even if, at, you know, some months I didn't know who I was or what I was and what I was exploring and discovering and liking, um, I felt okay and safe to do it in that space and around that community. And so I've been a member now of the Mark for almost five years. I'm a lifetime member now because I feel like that is that important of a community that I always want to be a part of it. Um, I shortly after joining actually um, got volunteered for the education committee and I've been on that for several years. I recently joined the medical advocacy committee um, that we have in place for, for COVID precautions when we reopen. And 
um yeah i've that without the mark um, without the cancer giving me a new perspective on appreciating the little things and not taking things for granted and without that first initial me standing up for myself at the expense of maybe hurting others or letting people down without those three things i don't think i would be able to sit here and feel comfortable as comfortable as i do now and so when my participation in this podcast and the reason i've chose to be a contributor is because i'm hopeful that at least me sharing my story um and my struggles that that will help someone else that's listening at least even a little bit with their story and their own journey to self-discovery and, and being authentic that's my story thank you randy Um, so that brings us, I guess, to the topic of like, what exactly is ethical seduction? <clears throat> you know, we've all got our different stories that we've sort of talked about. Uh, so this is a podcast that is designed to help you develop the skills and understandings that you need where you can seduce, date, and connect with people that interest you. Like I said earlier, we're going to cover a lot of different life skills, but it's kind of easier and more fun if we just focus in on like how this relates with like seduction and relationships. Uh, so we're going to, in the coming weeks, try to cover different topics such as like how do you dress well, maybe how to meet people, ways to approach people that you're interested in, texting, a lot of, we're going to do a lot of talk about like conversation skills. Uh, and we're also going to get into the broader topics. So those are the easy ones like you kind of think about with like dating, but we're also going to get into the broader topics that are like dealing more with like sex, maybe techniques, uh, different ways that you can create special experiences in bed. We're going to talk about influence and persuasion, which I really care about and really like a lot. And some of that is too, like influence and persuasion is also like, how do you educate people? You know, so it's not just like used car salesman. How do we do these things? I'm going to try to pull a fast one on somebody. You're really trying to like, how do you connect with people? How do you listen to them and find out what is it that they want and need? And how do you make this kind of connection? So influence, persuasion, I love. Um, we want to help people become better and more confident and to know what they're looking for and what they're doing. So th th that's a, I guess an overarching goal that we're going to kind of try to work on and focus on. And also just in general, how do you develop strong, healthy, deep relationships? That's, that's a big part of what we're going to cover. So uh, the best way to get these concepts and ideas to stick for the most part, I think is to do it is, it's education, but also needs to be sort of entertaining and kind of a fun, casual way. So if we can present it that way, then hopefully it sticks in your head and you can remember the topics that we talk about or, you know, technique or something like that. So you can actually use it when you need to. So that is in a nutshell, what I think of with like ethical seduction and where we're headed in future podcasts. Uh, well, th that'll wrap us up for tonight. So thank you everybody for joining us and thanks for listening to our first podcast that we've done. Um, we're going to be posting a new podcast every sun Sunday night so that you can have something fun to listen to on your Monday drive to work. Um, and also, uh, you can check us out on ethicalseduction.com where we're building the website out. It's pretty new at this point. We don't have a ton of material right now, but we're going to try to build that up and, and have more videos and maybe blogs and things like that. It's the goal, I guess, for that is to have it be like a resource where you can go in there and like look up certain topics and find the information that you want and that you need. Uh, so thanks again. And we hope that everybody will join us next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.